0: Welcome to Conversations in Business with RSM, where we talk to business leaders and experts to gain valuable insights that will help you move your business forward.
1: Welcome to Conversations in Business with RSM. I'm Andrew Galloway, and I'm a director at RSM South Africa. Today, I'll be chatting to Nyari Samushonga from We Think Code. There's no doubt that Africa has a long way to go in terms of technology and digitization. And WeThinkCode's mission is to train untapped talent in the technology space and mold them into exceptional software engineers through an education sponsorship program. Nyari is the chief executive officer at WeThinkCode. She's a qualified chartered accountant with over a decade of experience in the public accounting sector, and she previously ran her own software consulting company. Her expertise lies in bridging the divide between business executives and tech innovators to maximize the value of software. Thank you for joining us today, Nyari.
0: Thank you for having me, Andrew.
1: Nyari, can you give us some background on the technology sector in South Africa and what spurred the need for uh, an organization such as we Think Code.
0: So what I would say about South Africa is, um, unlike many other countries on the continent, it actually has a quite robust um, bespoke software sector, which is to say a lot of homegrown solutions as opposed to packaged out-of-the-box solutions. And what that means is that there's actually a lot of talent on the ground and a lot of innovation happening within the country. However, I'd say the penetration of that, there's a lot of room for growth. When you look at sectors like education, health, transport, et cetera, there's a lot of opportunity within the South African space to do a lot more to innovate with technology, increase efficiency for consumers, and essentially just grow the economy and create opportunities for more people to be participating in it. We think Code in particular was created um, because of a combination of things. One is a skills shortage in the software sector in the country. And then on the other hand, is the unemployment problem that we have in the country. And we think code is born out of this view that we can address the skills shortage by doing a better job of tapping into unemployed youth that are talented and have the potential to be software developers. So if we can train more young people, then we can address our skills shortage and in so doing address our unemployment problem, which is a win-win across the board. What do you think
1: is the results on business of the shortage of technical skills in the country?
0: Oh, wow. Um, that's, That's everywhere. The one is tech actually just enables you to scale up your business while reducing your marginal cost to service your customers. And so when you don't have enough technological skills, which means you're operating with less digitization than would be optimal, the consequence is that you're probably operating at a higher cost than you need to be operating at. That's one of the issues. The other one is that by digitizing, we're able to get great insights in the data that's created um, through delivering business solutions. And with the great insights that are in the data, we're able to create learning organizations that evolve over time. By not having enough skills, which means we're not optimally digitized, the consequence we have is that um, we're missing a lot of great information. The third one I'd say is in South Africa, particularly the skills shortage correlates to a lack of representation whether that be representation of women in the sector, which is a global problem, or that's a representation of low income people in the sector or representation of black people in the sector. And the consequence of that is the solutions we create are representative of the people that are active. Whereas if we address the skills shortage through more inclusion, we're going to create solutions that work better across the board. Um, If you look at interesting things like uh, mobile money solutions that have come out of East Africa, that work on feature phones. Those are examples of solutions that are created by people that are close to the pain of being unbanked, for example. And so by increasing the skills to be more representative, we're going to create more economic activity by making solutions that work for everyone.
1: That's uh, very interesting. Um, Organizations simply can't hide from technology even small entrepreneurs, where do you feel many organizations are falling short in the technology space?
0: I think from my perspective, it starts off with the way we view technology. We've got to demystify it. Um, I often say to people that have the view that tech is now the business, that the business is the business. As, As you mentioned in your intro, I've been an accountant for a long, long time. And through that, I've had the privilege of working with very different businesses in terms of the size of the business and the sectors. And what I find is technology is not necessarily solving new problems. It's solving old problems in better ways. And so whether you look at things like Uber, we've all needed to be transported from point A to point B. And between walking and then horse and carriage and then a bus, train, etc., we've always needed to get around. What technology brings to the fore is the ability to do it in a more efficient way, to give consumers more power, and you know those kinds of things. So it brings an optimization. I think the biggest thing we miss is understanding that, which is we've got to understand business and we've got to become technologically aware so that we can optimize business solutions to problems we've always known. And I think that's where the biggest gap is, is don't start with um, the tech before you know what the business issue is. You know how they say... um, when the only tool you have is a hammer, everything starts to look like a nail. Interestingly, while that sounds like a very rudimentary tool, I've seen similar mental orientations with technologies. We're just going to build software here and we're just gonna use technology there. But really what it is, is it's a core understanding of business domains and business problems. And then a literacy around technology that allows you to say, well, how can I solve this better using computing power, which can consume more data quickly which can execute computations faster, which can retain larger um, amounts of information over time better, which can search through information more efficiently, et cetera. So bring to bear the power of technology in known business issues. And so the same problems that businesses have always had in defining their problem, in understanding how to solve those problems, translates into the technology world. Because when you arrive at software without knowing what you're trying to do, um, then you can't bring the tech in. And I think that's, that's the core thing is entrepreneurs need to still double down and be passionate about understanding what they're trying to do and then have a literacy about what computing power unlocks and then bring that power to bear in solving the problems that they have.
1: Now you mentioned um, tech, tech literacy, which is um, becoming an, an almost compulsory language to understand yes. in the digital age. In your opinion, what level of technological insight is really needed in the average organization?
0: I think at the senior level, people should be reading recent trends in technology and understanding not just the story of the unicorn tech companies in the context of how much money they're making, but more understanding how technology has solved problems. And the reason I say that is that there's a wealth of opportunity there And where the tech literacy is lacking, what tends to happen is people automate the old solutions that they've had. You know, they look at it and they say, "Okay, if I'm in a bank and I'm a bank teller, there's a sequential way that a human operates because they can do one thing at a time. And when we don't have a technological awareness, we tend to take those kind of linear systemic models and try to automate them. So an understanding of technology as something that allows you to go faster to parallel run systems, to reach more people and scale up without incurring additional cost. Those things are really what I I think are key to how people can look at unlocking business value. And not being threatened, I think is important. Understanding that um, the brains in business of understanding human need and then designing solutions that solve for those human needs are always going to be there. But it's no longer enough to just know that. You've now got to look at it and say, What are some of the technical vehicles, whether it's using mobile, using social media to access your user, um, using different kinds of database structures that allow you to save and retrieve information faster, better. Um, Those kinds of things enable you to now go back into that solution and say, how do I optimize for it? And I think the tone at the top is critical. It's very difficult for junior people in organizations to come with great bright ideas when the most senior people are threatened by the idea of change. And so the tone at the top has got to be about automation, digitization, higher visibility, higher computing power. And when that exists, I think what you start to see is the opening up of innovation um, across an organization.
1: All, all this uh, innovation and tech comes at a cost, obviously, in terms of uh, initial, initial capital expenditure and ongoing uh, investment in, into uh, the tech in the company. So it's expensive, but at the same time, organizations can't can't really afford to be left behind. Where do you think an organization finds the middle ground in terms of expenditure versus benefit?
0: I I see tech as having two parts. One is definitely an expenditure reduction. The other is the accessing of new markets um, through the reach of technology. Suddenly your tech goes to places where um, you don't have brick and mortar presence, where your feet can't reach. And so that allows you to scale out and actually increase your revenue side. But on the cost side, in terms of making decisions to reduce cost, I'm quite a pragmatist. One of the things that you'll find with technology is if you look at in South Africa, one of the industries that's a huge user of tech would be banking. And a lot of the banking systems that are innovating rapidly over time are still sitting on the old mainframes that they brought into play decades ago. And they're managing to innovate on top of them. They're managing to create new products. They're managing to delight their customers in new ways, while the core tech remains the same. I think the pragmatic view that I take is you don't have to have these big bang, change the business completely overnight tomorrow. Look at it incrementally and create small business models with the technical solutions that eat away at the problem. So identify small things that you wake up tomorrow and you say it's better already. So If for example, you're creating a lot of um, paper forms that require multiple people to handle them and you've got a high rate of error and it's slow for you to open an account for a banking customer and your lead times are anywhere between five days and two to three weeks. There are simple forms you can use that are not an extremely sophisticated technological solution that can very quickly reduce your error rates, reduce your time to completion And you haven't gone and spent an arm and a leg into moving into cloud computing and ai and all the funky buzzwords but just understanding very precisely what your problem is and then picking some low-hanging fruit of affordable technology already gains you the ground it gains you the saving and then you reinvest that saving into making it more sophisticated and more robust and by the time you're investing that money you can already see that you've got a high rate of success there. So you remove the, you know, the risk of failure, which is also the cost, because you double down when you know what you're doing, having done smaller incremental affordable things that gave you some bang for your buck upfront. So that's the pragmatic view that I often encourage is move away from these pie in the sky, silver bullets, technology will magically make my world better. It actually won't. The same robust strategic thinking step-by-step, solve the problem, eat away at it approach to business, I think still wins. It's just that over time, tech gives you an elasticity and a reach that manual solutions would not.
1: No, do you believe there's still quite a, a resistance to change in this area?
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I think it, it is as much in the minds of people that are not technologists as it is in technology. Um, because among ourselves in tech, We are also afraid of redundancy. The industry tends to change quite rapidly. And so you master a particular area of technology today. You know, you're running big data centers and all the information is in a big air conditioned room that's buzzing in the back and your identity is attached to that server room. And suddenly someone comes to you and says, cloud computing. And you, know, you have an existential crisis. Who am I now? And so I think we, we talk a lot about the resistance to change outside the tech community. But within the tech community, um, as our industry charges ahead, we ourselves have our insecurities around relevance. But I think the key thing is, if I look at myself as an accountant, when I started um, back in the day, I actually started auditing without a computer and I was using the 15 column piece of paper and casting off of a calculator. And when you look at that, there's a huge amount of time that was invested in manual tasks, um, as opposed to the more cerebral, discretionary thinking type tasks that I needed to do as an accountant. And I think once people realize that, which is, it's not something that's there to annihilate your existence. But it's something that's there to remove um, the mundane, the repetitive, and empower you to focus on the things that are differentiating, the things that are building optimization, the things that are innovative, then maybe a lot of that fear can subside. Until people just start allowing themselves to sit and bank weird computers and play with code, some of those anxieties will continue to exist. I also think the hype and the buzzwords don't help. the threats of AI annihilating humans and the robots taking over have been around for 70 years. And in many ways, robots have taken over a lot of things that we've done previously. And yet we're still here and we're still relevant and we're still finding new things to um, allow us to add value. And I think there's a way this conversation can be had, which is non-threatening. A way that doesn't say, oh, you're not useful. We're bringing a computer to make you go away. And rather one that says, learning technology is accessible, which is what we try to encourage at WeThink Code it's accessible for people who've never done it before. And if you embrace it, you can sit at the table of that change and start to craft the way in which all the things that in truth you hate to do can be made to go away. And you can be free to actually do much more enjoyable, interesting thinking things, and then knock off at five o'clock and maybe actually have a full on quality of life.
1: Sounds, that sounds really good, actually. (laughs) But uh, coming back to We Think Code, Your organization is funded uh, by a heavily reliant on outside investment from your partners that you engage with. Have you found a drop in willingness from corporates to invest in this kind of initiative in the current climate that we're in and going into?
0: Well, definitely the the, the economic crisis we find ourselves in has been a strain on, I think, all businesses are feeling it. The interesting thing that we find is that with technology, it's a bit of a double-edged sword. On the one hand, there's a cost to train talent. And you know when you hear the word cost, you're like, reduce, reduce, reduce. But as you would know, Andrew, you can't save your way out of every problem. Some of them you actually need to spend out of. And what we've seen in the current climate is a rapid increase in digital adoption. And a rapid increase in digital adoption means an increase in the need for digital talent. And so what we're finding is actually an increased interest in the talent we bring but with the strain in cash flows because of what the economy is is a lot of questions around how do we structure the model differently so that we can still deliver that talent to where it's needed more than before this pandemic um, while catering for the fact that not everybody's cash flush right now one of the models that we've created is something we're calling the coalition of the willing or the smme uh, program where we've got some large corporates that have been more resilient to the shake in the economy that have the funds available to them. And we've got some small SMMEs that have a need for the talent, quite desperately, actually, but not the cash to invest into an organization like ourselves. And we're finding a way to create an ecosystem where we think code sources young talent and trains it, corporate sponsors pay for it, and SMMEs are able to absorb it and use it in their businesses. So those are some of the models that we're using to weather the storm because I think there's consensus around the board that now more than ever, digital talent is really needed and organizations like Weth Code um, become critical in that value chain.
1: Uh, Neri, you spent a number of years working as a CA before moving into a technology firm and then uh, starting your own software consultancy. So you've had quite a clear focus in your career path so far. Yeah. What is your advice to organizations in getting up to speed in the technology space?
0: I would say play with it. Um, And this, this was my big inhibitor in hesitating to cross over is I just felt I had invested a lot of time in becoming quite an expert in my field as an accountant and being quite respected and competent in that space. And it was incredibly intimidating to jump over and touch this thing and be a complete novice. So to go from having prowess and respect to being utterly clueless and sitting next to a graduate straight out of university, and they are just running circles around you. And so I have huge empathy for why that's intimidating because I've, you know, I've walked that gauntlet. But my take on it is don't just read about it, play with it. Find ways to engage it, whether that's playing games which are known as an entry drug into software, or that's using different applications and websites and being aware of, you know, how they're engaging you as a user, what solutions they're serving up to you. Actually play with it. Um, many years ago when I was an audit, I remember working with a partner whose uh, PA actually had to print his emails <laughs> so that he would know what we were communicating to him. And that's- I still
1: that's... have a one or two clients when that happens.
0: <laughs> and I think to me, that's, that's, that's where the problem begins is yes, it's uncomfortable to, to start with when you know you, you feel quite accomplished and quite comfortable in what makes you effective. But what I encourage people to do is just step in there because the technology is everywhere. It's on your mobile phone and applications. It's on different ways to collaborate. Like we're doing a lot of Zoom meetings and things like that now. It's on different project management tools that we use to track the background. Touch it, taste it, use it, get comfortable with it. And what you find is when you do that, your mind opens up. how in your own business space, well, why can't we do this this way? Wouldn't it be faster if we do that? Can't we create the Uber of this here? Can't we create, you know, and I think that to me is about engagement with technology. You don't have to build it, but consume it as a conscious consumer, not just, you know, blindly and at a minimum and only when you make me do it. And I think if people start to do that more, they'll be surprised at how naturally they become, innovative thinkers that see opportunities to bring technology into their world it won't bite you (laughs) it won't kill you but if you try to ignore it it will leave you behind and I think the consequences of being left behind are decidedly more catastrophic than the temporary discomfort of stepping out and trying to do something with something that's unfamiliar so you know the age old comment of when was the last time you did something scary I think with tech that's just it dip your toes touch it play with it
1: Great. Well, Nyari, thanks very much for your insights today. It's been great chatting to you. And uh, on behalf of RSM, we thank you very much for your time that you've given
0: to us today. Thank you very much for the platform, Andrew. Really enjoyed the chat. That was Conversations in Business with RSM. Experience the power of being understood. Experience RSM. Visit rsmza.co.za.